Good morning, church, and welcome to Church Online. Thank you so much for still honoring this time and tuning in. Thank you, Dlaminis, for that very cool welcome from your living room. I really miss you all. I don't think I'm ever going to get used to preaching to a camera. I really miss all the, the faces and the hallelujahs and the amens and the ashes and all the shores that, and the vibe that we have together as Every Nation Durban. But we're going to get through this together. I have a short word in my heart that I want to share with you this morning, and it's entitled, Don't Let a Good Crisis Go to Waste. Don't waste a good crisis. We have completed seven weeks of lockdown, people. Can you believe it? I mean, this has been an unprecedented time where we've had to work from home, do homeschooling, wear these funny masks, no visits, no brides, no trips to the hairdressers. Some, you know, some of those hairstyles are looking a little bit wild, um, but it's been unprecedented. I mean, it's really been a crisis of note for many of us and in many different ways. And, um, you know, when, when this whole thing started, I said, that I don't believe that COVID-19 is God's judgment on the world, you know, which some people were saying, I really don't believe that. And I still, you know, seven weeks into this thing, I really hold firmly to that, that this is not God's judgment. I don't think God just randomly judges and, and pours out plagues and stuff on us without like some sort of direction or clear words so that we know what's going on. That's just not our God. When this started, I said that, you know, because COVID-19 is sickness, it's either demonic or it's just part of living in a broken and fallen world. You know, in a broken, fallen world, we have volcanoes and earthquakes and floods and droughts and, and all sorts of bugs and bacteria and, and stuff like that. And if, and if that is the case, then as the church, we have a responsibility because COVID-19 falls into that category of either being demonic or a part of a fallen world. Our responsibility is to resist it. Our responsibility is, is to stand against it, to pray for protection, to pray for healing, to pray for breakthrough, to, to stand up against it, to rise up with a shield of faith and a sword, which is the word of God, and, and, to, and to really resist in, in every way that we can, either in prayer or through social responsibility. Um, and I still hold to that belief. You know, I still hold to the, to the belief that you know, we need to pray for, for healing and for our economy to open up and for this thing to, to end. However, that being said and going without question, we are in the middle of this crisis. And, and while we are still maintaining a posture of resisting it, we must not let a good crisis go to waste as well. What do I mean by that? Well, let me, let me share with you two scriptures. The first one is Romans 8, 28, and you know it so well, you can quote it. Um, why don't we all read it together? Yes, that's right. We do that on Sundays, so we can do that when you're in your room, uh, in your living room with your family. Can you all just, it's going to come up on the screen. Let's all read it together. It says, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Okay, we know that scripture really well. God causes everything, notice I underlined that word, everything to work together for the good. Can you say everything? Everything God works. And, and the context of this passage, Paul was writing to the Roman church and the Roman church was facing persecution, man. They were getting, you know, killed for their faith and ostracized by family and friends and all sorts of like radical stuff happening to them. And 
and, and he was writing to them and saying that God works all things and he was referring to the persecution to our good. Um, so, you know, if we had to translate into our context, what is everything? In our context, everything is COVID-19. It's, it's lockdown. It's not meeting together on Sundays. It's spending so much money on data. <laughs> it's, it's all, all of this, this, this crisis that we're going through. God doesn't just let a crisis go to waste. He allows it to produce something brilliant in us, something amazing in us. He causes it to work together for the good. So, so in this crisis, this is crisis that we're facing, there must be something that God is doing in it. There must be some way that he's, he's taking what we're experiencing and he's using it to, to build some spiritual muscle or spiritual vigor or determination or new sense of holiness. I don't know what it is, but, but for you or for me or for us corporately, there is something God is going to, he's not going to let it go to waste. And so we mustn't let it go to waste. Second scripture I want to share with you, and you know this one too, Genesis 50 and verse 20. Let's read it together. But as for you, you meant evil against me. This is Joseph speaking. But God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. So in this passage, what Joseph was saying to his brothers is that you guys had evil intentions for my life. You wanted to kill me. You wanted to get rid of me. I was the, the one that you hated and you sold me into slavery and you thought I died. Um, you had evil intentions, but God actually took your evil intentions and, and he turned it around so that it resulted in my promotion and not just my good, but the greater good. The, the, in fact, what happened through Joseph's life was that the, the world was saved from a famine. From a famine, you know, like we're going through a plague right now. Uh, they were going through a famine. That was their crisis. But, but in, in the midst of some evil intentions, God managed to somehow work it around for Joseph's good and for the good of everyone, for the greater good. So I want us just to see that this is our God, people. This is Him. This is what He does. So whatever we're going through, and maybe COVID-19 hasn't been a crisis for you. Maybe you've got some other crisis happening on the side. You know, some own personal thing. We must know that whatever it is, God is turning it to the good. And, and if it was, there were, even if there were evil intentions behind it. And I don't know about you, but I'm, you know, I'm watching some of the stuff on the internet. And, you know, I'm, you know... There's stuff coming out about COVID-19 that, that looks like it's the scheme of evil men and pharmaceuticals and vaccines and all this. Like, there's a lot of stuff going on behind the, the scenes. And, I, you know, we don't know the truthfulness of all of it. And, and yet stuff's coming out. Evidence is coming out. But it could be even the result of, of evil intentions, evil people, people trying to manipulate the world and people's health in order to profit from it. But even if it is. It doesn't matter <laughs> uh, because God is still God and God is still on the throne and we're still God's people and he doesn't waste a good crisis. So, so we mustn't either. We've got to have eyes that while we're resisting this thing, while, while we maintain that posture of like protection and we, we want this thing to end and our economy to go back to what it was, even, even open up and get better, we must be mindful of the fact that that. God could be using this thing. God could be doing something in us and, and, in, and globally for us as the church. Um, so, so let's get started. What, what I want to do 
is I want to talk about just the state of the church, us, every nation, Durban, uh, the church in Durban, the church in the world, globally, all right? I want to talk about us corporately, like the church, all right? Um, but I also want to just talk about us individually. So I'm going to talk about us corporately, and then I'm going to talk about us individually and, and how we can not let a good crisis go to waste. The first scripture I want us to go to is another scripture that you all know very well. It's 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, verse 9 to 10. And it says the following. It says, You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Isn't this just one of the most, you know, edible, amazing, incredible passages of scripture that there is? I mean, it's just, it's just rich in theology, adjectives. It's just, you know, it's incredible. He uses the words chosen. We could spend all day on that one. Uh, royal priesthood. Um, that's a whole sermon on its own. Uh, holy nation, especially his own special people. I mean, these are, these, this is incredible language that Peter is using here. Um, and once again, this was written to Jews and Gentiles who were facing persecution under Nero. They, they were being burned alive for their faith, thrown to lions, you know. So, so he was... He was writing to them, and when he was saying to them, uh, they were in crisis, and, and, and while he was writing this to them, he, he said these words, you were not a people, but, now, but are now the people of God. He was speaking into the very thing that they were being robbed of, which was their identity, okay? And this is like, you know, if we're going to talk about our identity in God, this is the one passage that we always go to. It, t it tells us who we are. We're chosen, royal priests, a holy nation. I mean, this is so, so they're in a crisis. What does Peter do? He speaks to their identity. He reminds them about who they are. Why? Well, because the, the crisis causes us to freak out. It sometimes causes us to forget who we are and, and who God has made us to be and how special we are and how chosen we are and how really loved we are despite the circumstances, despite the craziness of the world. And, and so Peter takes these words and he, and he ministers it into their hearts and, and builds their identity, reminding them who they are in Christ. Okay, but what I want you to notice in this passage is that he doesn't just speak to their identity. He also speaks to their purpose. Did you see that? Look at, look at the passage. It says there, God has done all of this so that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, he's spoken about identity. That is about purpose over there. Um, I love the way the Passion Translation says it. It says, He did this so that you would broadcast, I love that, His glorious wonders throughout the world. Okay, so, so Peter's basically saying to them, Guys, you are chosen, you royal priesthood, you holy nation, God's special people, you weren't a people, now you are. But God did all of this. He gave you this identity so that you could fulfill a purpose in the earth. 
And their purpose is to proclaim the praises, is to broadcast his glorious wonders throughout the world. Okay, so this, there's identity and there's purpose in this passage. So, and what we see is God's intention. You know, God didn't just save us and redeem us and forgive us and heal us and, and give us, you know, heaven and all of that just so that we could like, I don't know, just glow in the dark and walk around going, yeah, we're special, man. We're like amazing. You know, he did it so that he, he could reflect uh, himself to the world so that we would, would broadcast his praises, that we, would, that we would proclaim who he is, we would shine who he is to the world, that, that we would be his broadcast channel. Like, you know, you, know certain, you have certain news channels or whatever, like we're the news channel for God. Like he's, he's not using other channels, he's using us. We're it. We're, he, he does this incredible work in us so that through us, we can broadcast these glorious wonders to the world. It's kind of like, I think about this, I think about, when I think about this, I think about the moon. Like, you know, the moon is this, just this big rock in the sky and it's, and it's got no specialness to it at all. It's just actually quite an ugly rock, you know, when you get close enough to see it, it's like these craters and it's gray and it's dusty and like there's nothing exciting about the moon. However, every night, the moon shines like this beautiful silver light, um, and and it's and it's not of itself. It's nothing on its own that's producing that. It's actually the glory of the sun hitting, smashing into the moon, and the moon absorbing that and then powering it back to a dark world. And, and it's got no ability to shine on its own, but it's it's drawing everything from the sun and then beaming that to the world. In essence, the moon proclaims the glory of the sun. Um, and, and, and that's what we are. That's what we are as a church. We are meant to proclaim the glory of God to a lost, dark, broken world. That is our purpose. Now, Paul said something similar about this purpose when he wrote to the Corinthian church. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 7. It says the following, it says, We are like common clay jars that carry this glorious treasure within so that the extraordinary overflow of power will be seen as God's and not ours. <laughs> Doesn't that just sound like the moon right there, you know? That, that's, that's us. We're, we're common Clay jars, okay? There's nothing exciting about that. We're just clay jars, and we are people, you know, from dust we are made, and to dust we shall return. We are clay jars, but, but there is a glorious treasure in us. There's something powerful in us, and, and, and this, this treasure, this glorious treasure is meant to overflow in an extraordinary way into the world that would make people realize, hang on, Hang on, there's more to your life than just you. What's, there's something more about you. There's something on your life. There's something about your life. There's, that you're not just, you're a jar of clay, I can see that, but, but there's something else here, man. There's, you, there, there's more to you than what I'm seeing. And, and this is the really, so he talks to us, he says the church is ordinary, but, but it's also an extraordinary overflow of power. And this is really our purpose as the church. We are just ordinary, 
but we carry this extraordinary power. We're meant to overflow with extraordinary power. Okay, that's our purpose. Now, okay, if we just look at the church and we look at it throughout history and even even into you know the the Old Testament days with with the people of God, what we notice is that at many points in history. The church maintains its identity as the people of God, but it loses this purpose. So we, we're still the people of God. There's still, we know that, or that we still carry that, but there's the purpose of God is not being fulfilled in our lives. There is no broadcast. There is no overflow of extraordinary power. There is no bright shining light in a dark world. In fact, in many cases, we look just like the world. There's nothing different to our lives. There's nothing different to our marriage statistics. There's nothing different to our kids and what, they, what they're becoming in the world. There's, there's, we, in many ways, we're just diluted and maybe just like everybody else. And, and so we still are the people of God. We still maintain our identity. But the very purpose for which God rescued us is not being fulfilled. And this has happened throughout history. This has happened in many times in history. And, and typically because the world falls into worldliness and compromise and lukewarmness and complacency and even corruption and apostasy. And, and we lose that overflow of power to the world. So what, what does God do? <laughs> you know where this is going. What, what does God do? When the church still carries his name, but not its function. What, is, what does God do when we still have our identity, but, but we're not fulfilling our purpose? Well, this, the answer is, and, I, and I'm sad to say, this is not really good news, he, is that he allows crises to come. He allows big crises, little crises, ugly crises, bad crises, demonic crises. He allows crises to come, persecutions to come. Why? Because what happens in persecution and crisis is that they shake us up and they bring us back to our original purpose. And I know that's not good news and, 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 and stuff, but it is good news in a way because, because it's actually the loving hand of God that he would actually discipline us and that he would allow us to go through tough stuff in order to bring us back to our, our, our true purpose in life. So God has always used crises to bring people back to their purpose, his purpose in their lives. Crises have always been precursors to spiritual renewal and, re and revival, if we allow them. Um, if we allow them, they can produce a wonderful move of God in our lives and in the life of our churches and even in society. I have two examples I wanna share with you. The one is the wilderness example, and the other is the Babylonian exile, okay? So in both these, these were two crises that happened to, to Israel, the, the wilderness experience and then the Babylonian uh, exile. With and, and I want to just show you what, what those produced or what, why God allowed them. So I'm going to start in Deuteronomy 8 with the wilderness one. It says in verse 3, Yes, He humbled you by letting you go hungry, and then feeding you with manna. He did it to teach you that people do not live by bread alone, but rather we live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Think about it. Just as a parent disciplines a child, the Lord God disciplines you for your own good. 
What does this passage tell us? Well, it, as clear as day says that God allowed them to go without something in the natural in order to bring a spiritual renewal. He allowed them to go without certain products and supplies and things that they would like to have in order to produce a spiritual renewal in them where they saw that every um, man does not live on bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's, that's a spiritual renewal. That's a bringing them back to God. Does that sound familiar at all? Could, could God be allowing us to go without our luxuries and our church services and you know our conferences and our buildings as the church because he's wanting to produce some sort of spiritual renewal in us? I think so. The second example is the Babylonian exile. Okay. And and again, the context to that story, this was another crisis that happened. But the context is this, is that Israel kept sinning and falling into idolatry and lukewarmness. And they were just becoming like the nations around them. They, they were the people of God. They had their identity, but they weren't fulfilling their purpose. Israel was always meant to be a light to nations. Nations were meant to come and learn from Israel and go back and implement in their nations. That was the purpose of Israel, but they had lost that. They, they started serving false idols. And so God allowed them to be conquered by, by an enemy called Babylon. A Babylonian empire came and crushed them and took them away from the Holy Land into Babylon. Major crisis. I mean, like serious crisis of note, being like relocated and, and put in another place where they didn't have any of the things they didn't have their temple anymore. They didn't have their, you know, their places to fellowship. They didn't have any. They didn't have what they normally had. Um, God took them away from their normal lives in order to produce something spiritual, a spiritual renewal in them, and bring them back to their purpose. Does that sound familiar? Can can we maybe like draw some parallel to our own lives and what we're experiencing right now as the church? Um, one historian wrote the following. They said this. The Babylonian captivity had one very significant impact on the nation of Israel when it returned to the land. It would never again be corrupted by the idolatry and false gods of the surrounding nations. A revival. Can you say the word revival? A revival among Jews took place after the return of the Jews to Israel and the rebuilding of the temple. A revival took place when? After they returned. In other words, the discipline that they went through produced the results that God was looking for. I mean, Babylon was the crucible necessary to produce leaders like, like Daniel and Zerubbabel and Nehemiah and Ezra. I mean, we're talking about strong, powerful capable reformers, world changers who are not only able to build society, but even they're, they're, you know, they have deep spiritual lives at the same time, both kings and priests functioning in both roles. They, they, they come out of Babylon. They come out of this crisis, this difficult time. And, they, and there's this revival. There's this new breed kind of that's coming out of it. So I, all of that being said, I think it would be wrong for us to see COVID-19 um, and this crisis 
that we're facing globally, this pandemic, and this mass church exile, closing of all churches, as just something we need to resist. I think we must maintain that posture. Don't hear me wrong. You know, don't hear me wrong. I think we, we need to stay in that posture. And we're doing that every morning at 5 a.m., okay? However, all right, we should also see this as some sort of discipline that would be towards us as the church that we need to maybe embrace so that we can fulfill the purpose for which God has called us to. You know, I recently heard a, a prophet speaking about the COVID-19 crisis, and she was saying some interesting things, man, and, and I, I agree with a lot of what she said. She, she said, you know, the modern church is a lukewarm church. It's lost its power, overflow of power in many places, not in all places, but in many places. Globally, it's, it's become lukewarm. And she compared it to the church in Laodicea, where they weren't hot or cold, but lukewarm. And Jesus said, I'm going to spew you from my mouth. This prophet said some powerful words. She said, she thinks that God has spewed us from the building. She's, she get out of the building, go home, go think about, you know, your life and your worship and your sacrifice and your calling and your identity and your purpose in God for a while because the building wasn't helping you. The, 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 what was happening wasn't, wasn't producing the result. So a crisis is needed in order to produce a spiritual renewal. And I, I think I really agree with that. Um, I was talking to a pastor friend the other day and he was talking about, he was in, in contact with a church in another nation, a church that's about 2,000 people on a Sunday, all right? And he was talking with their leaders and how they're coping with, the, you know, the whole shutdown in their nation. And, he, and the leader said something powerful to him. They said, you know, on Sundays we're about 2,000 people, but since we've moved online, we're only down to 300 people. <laughs> I'm, I'm serious. And they were just trying to process that and, and, and coming to some sort of conclusion that maybe at the end of the day, they were actually only a 300 strong church anyway. Um, and, and, that the, and, and the 1,700 other people were, were maybe just a crowd that were unconnected and undiscipled and, and not really plugged in and, and really following Jesus, but maybe they were caught up in the excitement of a Sunday service and, and just, and it's easy nowadays, you know, the church has become so, uh, so professional, preachers are so professional and good and musicians and worship leaders and it's just, you can come to church and have this like, woo, holy, amazing experience and you can just get swept up in the moment and enjoy this preacher and that preacher and this song, this new song, you must hear this new song and, and, and all the things and all the stuff and never actually have a heart of worship, never actually produce a, a living relationship with Jesus first. Um, Jim LaFoon said a while back that he fears many people are not abiding in the vine, but abiding in the branches. You know, some of the branches in the vine are just amazing and beautiful, and it's easy to abide in a branch and, and live vicariously through a preacher and never really develop a connection with the vine, who is Jesus, and have your own personal living relationship with Jesus. And our faith, people, has got to start with you know, Jesus knows when we come together on a Sunday and, and we're worshiping and there's a thousand of us in the building or whatever, he knows how much of that is real and how much is not. He knows how much of that is hype and how much is not. And, um, 
And so, you know, we, we've got to ask the question, you know, what is, what is, is this crisis causing us just to, to come back to an authentic faith in Jesus? One where, you know, you can take away all the props and all the supports and we can still stand for Jesus. Um, I want to show you a picture. It's of a, 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 a bridge, a highway bridge being constructed. And you know this picture pretty well. You've, you've probably seen this um, in many uh, places in Durban. In the last couple of years, we've had a lot of interchanges and highways being built. But I want you to notice that in the picture, can you see the scaffolding that's being used to build the bridge? All that scaffolding is there um, to uphold and uh, support the bridge while the concrete is being poured and shaped. And while the concrete is coming in and, and, and being shaped, then eventually it, it solidifies and hardens and, and they're able to take away all the support. They're able to take away those, that, that scaffolding and the bridge stands. And in many ways, I, I like to think of that as, as the function of the church, is to get along people's lives and to be, you know, I connect and connect groups and uh, area leaders and pastoral care and, and worship and Sunday services and all these prayer meetings and all these things are, are scaffolding. They're there uh, to support us. But what a waste if all that scaffolding is there and that direct connection, that cement, that, that life of God is not pouring in and building something solid that's able to stand when all the structures are gone. Um, you know, what a waste if we aren't able to build people who are true followers of Christ. Um, there, are, there are also, I was talking with some other leaders, and there are a lot of churches going through financial crisis now uh, during COVID-19. And, um, and, and why? Like, what is the reason for that? And I'm not talking about like, you know, like rural churches where it's very cash driven and, you know, you've got to give your cash. And I'm talking about modern urban churches that have every convenience of giving are going through financial crises. Um, and in many cases, the reason is because we're not putting a bucket in people's hands anymore and giving them a tithing message of how they should give to God. And so because there's no bucket and there's no compulsion happening, there's no giving happening. So you take away the bucket, you take away the message, and what you, that's all the scaffolding. But there was never a value of giving. There's never an understanding of, I, I give out of worship to God. I, I give my resources as a joy, as a, like my first delight. This is something I do. I sow into the kingdom so that God can be famous throughout the world. That's my purpose. That's who I am. I'm meant to broadcast His goodness. There's no... None of that, and, and so you take away the support, and and and, and we don't, and, and all of that comes crashing down. Now, Leonard Ravenhill said this quote um, a, a few years ago, and I think it's quite powerful. Let me read it to you. He said, "In the church today, we have many organizers, but few agonizers; many players, and few, and payers, but few prayers; many singers, few clingers." Lots of pastors, few wrestlers, many fears, few tears, much fashion, little passion, many interferers, few intercessors, many writers, few fighters. Failing here, we fail everywhere. You know, could it be that God has allowed our doors to be shut because He wants the church to go back to our homes and rethink 
our identity and purpose in Christ. I think that God would allow this crisis to come so that he could produce a spiritual renewal and a spiritual revival in us. So let's not let this good crisis go to waste. Let's be a church that stays on our knees and asks him to help us to, through this crisis, reposition us, Lord. Let's not be proud. Let's, let's be humble. Let's not be think that we're all okay. Let's rather go, Lord, what are you doing in this crisis? How can I change? What, what do I need to recover that maybe I've lost as your church? Because remember, the church is not a building. It's people. It's us. It's you and me. So that's us corporately. What about us individually? Okay. I've spoken enough about us corporately. What about, what about you? Um, you know, what, what about your life and, and how can you not let this good crisis go to waste? What are some of the things that you've recovered or maybe discovered during lockdown that could actually come back into your life post lockdown? Has it been uh, marriage time? Has it been family time? Has it been discipling your children and doing devotions with them? Has it maybe been eating right or sleeping right or safer use of digital devices or recovering your prayer or devotional life? I don't know what, what it is, but I think it's important that you identify it. I think it's really important that, that you, you look at your life right now and see what is God doing? How is he turning this to my good? What, are the, what is the good that he's wanting to bring forth? Just to give you an example from... The Sanderman home, one thing that we've recovered during uh, lockdown has been the Sabbath commandment. Yeah, I mean, we've always been believers in the Sabbath and, and we've always, you know, tried to practice the Sabbath and we've, we've ebbed and flowed throughout the years, you know, as kids change and church and everything changes a lot, we, we've ebbed and flowed in, in, in our application of it. And because of the busyness of life, we've never really actually sat down and said, okay, how can we actually live this in our life and so that's what we've had the time to do during this lockdown we've and and we've been practicing it and we've discovered it with a whole new beauty and a whole new celebration we 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 love it now and we're like we've rediscovered the sabbath during this time and and doing all our work in six days so that on us on another day we can we can rest before god and we can dedicate that that day to god um and maybe we'll preach about the Sabbath, you know, later on as the year goes on, because it's just beautiful. And I think it's so important for us now. Um, but that's something God's done in us as a family. And, and I'm like, I'm so happy. It took a crisis to bring us back to, to having Shabbat meals and, 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 and a day that's dedicated to God. And, and I'm just like, God, I don't want to lose this when life goes back to normal. I want to I I build a boundary around that and protect that and, and because I believe it's the good that you're bringing out in my life. Um, another example is the 5 a.m. prayer. I don't know, you know, big Bluetooth high five to all of you who are doing the 5 a.m. prayer. It is amazing. It's so encouraging when I see all those like little hands, you know, and little fires and hearts and all sorts of stuff coming through in the morning. I'm like, I'm just so blessed to know that I'm up with people who are praying and um, it's so encouraging to me and thank you for doing that. But, but for Trish and I, at the 5am prayer, we started like a week before lockdown and, and we've been going for seven weeks every single day 
and we love it. You know, I'm not going to lie, there have been tough days, there have been times when it's been difficult, um, but it's produced something beautiful in our relationship, in our prayer, in our life, that post-lockdown, man, I've I've purposed that, that this is not going to get lost, that we're going to continue this until we see revival or until we die, man. Like this 5 a.m. thing is, is, is not going to, it's a rock in our lives now. But it took a crisis to get her and me together and at the same time praying together every single day into in intercession and worship to God. And man, it's been incredible. Now I'm just like, we, we can... We cannot do without this. So this is going to continue. This is, this is going to happen after lockdown. But it took a crisis, you know. And so this is what I'm saying to you guys. You know, I could share more examples from my personal life and, 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 and from us as a family. But this is what I'm going after. Don't let a good crisis go to waste. God turns all things to the good for those who love Him and are called to His purposes. So... What is the purpose that God is calling you to? And, and what is He trying to do in your life right now? Where is the good? And, and I want to encourage you, be aware of that and celebrate that and build boundaries around that and protect that so that post-lockdown we can have the revival and the renewal and the awakening and the repositioning and repurposing of our lives back into society. Let COVID-19 be the crucible that, that forms us into great leaders like Daniel, Ezra, Nehemiah, that we're going to come out of this more bold in our faith, stronger in our beliefs, deeper in our foundations, deeper in prayer, deeper in discipleship, deeper in our commission to go make disciples of all the world, deeper in our dedication to God, stronger in our families and marriages. Let the crisis do something in us. Let it, let it produce the good that God wants to see because God never lets a good crisis go to waste. Amen, saints. I hope this has encouraged you. I want to encourage you just go grab an iConnect and, and meet with a group online and share from your own life about how, what God is doing in your life. Let me pray for you as we go. Father, thank you that even though we're not together, we're together in spirit. I pray for every single person who's listening and watching this message, Father, that every single one of us would, would be aware of what you're doing, that we'd be humble enough to recognize what you wanted to bring forth in our lives and that we would embrace and that we would strengthen and that we would go after the good that you are trying to produce in us. In Jesus' mighty name, I pray. Amen. Saints, I love you. I miss you. We'll see you again soon.